0: Thank you, Chloe. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. We're not alone, are we? He's with us, and he's for us. He's not against us. He's for us. Thank you. That's a beautiful, beautiful song. Last Sunday morning, I asked you to stand at this point, and we had special prayer for the people who lost loved ones in Afghanistan and for the tragedy that's going on there. This Sunday, I want us to have special prayer for the people who have been affected by Hurricane Ida and uh, the devastation that has happened and all the lives that have been uh, crushed and the things people have lost, especially loved ones. I think the count of people who have died is at about 60 now. So uh, if you would, stand with me, please, and let's have special prayer for them. Father, we, we pray for these that in our own nation who have been devastated by this, by this storm. Many of them have lost everything they had, their homes, their automobiles, and all the sentimental things that were inside homes and so forth. But even worse, some of them have lost loved ones, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. Comfort them as only you can do, and we pray you will draw them to yourself. In some way, we pray that you will bring good out of this great tragedy. Comfort, give strength and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Along with praying for them, we also are going to take an offering this morning for the uh, uh, disaster relief and what's going on now. And uh, there's going to be two men. Uh, standing, or it could be a woman, but two people standing in the lobby with uh, offering plates. So you don't have to touch the offering plate. You can just drop your offering in there. If you write a check, write a check to Gospel Baptist Church. And 100% of what you give will go to uh, Baptist men. And then Baptist men on their website, they promise that 100% of what you give will go directly to those in need and we're using baptist men we support samaritans purse on a regular basis but we're using baptist men this is an organization that chuck barrier uh, has worked with for many years and uh, we're going to use them because they're right here from north carolina and this is some, this is what it says about what they're doing volunteers are setting up a mass feeding operation and of course fresh water along with that in louisiana along with shower units, laundry units, generators, and more to assist in Hurricane Ida uh, response and recovery. This is what they say about their their ministry. The purpose of uh, Baptist Mission's disaster relief ministry is to relieve human suffering caused by disasters and to do it in Jesus' name. And so... Uh, uh, that you can give in that offering as you leave today and then let me say to the people who are online we're glad you're online and watching today and uh, don't uh, don't cut us off after the message we're, we're going to vote in some new members but, and then after that Jason's got a really important announcement to make so you don't want to miss that announcement if you're online so be sure to tune in and, and listen to Jason's announcement please alright, open your Bibles to John chapter 20, the resurrection chapter. We could say that this is Easter in September. Uh, We come to chapter 20, and uh, this great chapter on the resurrection. If you remember, uh, John is in his 90s. It's been 60 years since the cross. And uh, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, wrote about 30 years after the cross and about 30 years later John wrote and uh, he of course gives different tries to give different information uh, to go along with what's already been written and those are the human authors of course we have the divine author the Holy Spirit to make sure everything's true and right and accurate Uh, these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit now before we read verse 1 we're really just going to cover that one verse today. But before we read that, I want you to back up in chapter 19, the verse 41, if you would please. Chapter 19, verse 41. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. So, remember Golgotha was where he was Crucified, the Bible tells us. Near that, there was this tomb. Verse 42. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day. It was Friday. They were trying to get all this done before the Sabbath, which is Saturday. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand, or near. This particular sepulcher was near the place where Jesus was crucified. It was right there at hand. And then... On Sunday morning, look at verse 1 of chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, in, uh, unto the sepulcher, and see the stone away taken away from the sepulcher. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable for each of us. Encourage our hearts. We need encouraging speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Do you think it is possible to look at and see the very place where Jesus was buried in our day? Do you think it's possible to s- that the tomb of Jesus is still with us today and we can see it well do you think you could stand and look at it do you think you could go inside maybe and see the very place where Jesus lay it's a question worth thinking about eight weeks ago I shared with you some places over in the Holy Land uh, where uh, uh, different people felt like Jesus was crucified today we're gonna look at those different places where they think Jesus was in the tomb so if you look at your screen for a moment I show you this is a re- this is a picture of Jerusalem now and one of those places is the uh, church of the Holy Sepulchre right there in the middle and mostly Catholics believe this is the place where Jesus was crucified and rose again and then outside the northern wall is a place called Gordon's Calvary or it's called the heel of the skull which. Of course, the Scripture says Jesus was crucified in a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And uh, and there is a garden tomb there, which many Protestants feel like could well be the place where Jesus was placed in a tomb. Now, let's look first at the, uh, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Here's the church, the outside of the church. And uh, here's the place where they say Jesus was crucified. It's all... Uh, gold-plated and so forth. You can't see a face or a stone or even a heel or anything. All of that's inside the church. And here's the place where they say Jesus was placed in a tomb. And this is a building inside a building. You can see it good here. Uh, And it takes about two hours to get in to just walk through that place. Again, there's no tomb there. It's just the place where they think Jesus was in a tomb. Uh... And then, remember, I pointed out to you this, this uh, heel of the skull. And you can see a face in this side of this mountain right there. You see that face. And uh, this is Gordon's Calvary, or the heel of the skull. You can see it there, the face right in the middle. And then you can see the face over there at a distance. Um, these men that are in the foreground, they're on the northern wall looking out of Jerusalem to this place called the Hill of the Skull, and now it's called Gordon's Calvary. And so it could be right there, possibly, where Jesus was crucified. The three crosses would have been on top of that Hill of the Skull. Now, nearby the Hill of the Skull is a garden. Uh, And uh, as you approach it, this is the sign you'll see. Jesus Christ declared with power to be the son of god by the resurrection from the dead and and then it's you walk through there and it's a beautiful garden with flowers and shrubs and all of that kind of stuff and it is lovely and uh, you can imagine that this is the garden possibly that the bible said it was right next to that place of crucifixion here's what the walkways look like flowers and overpasses and so forth and then you'll eventually wind your way around till you see this place right here now I know this is not scientific but when when I visited those places in the Catholic Church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre I kept saying to the Lord in my heart Lord is this the place is is this where you really were crucified is this where you were placed in a tomb I just didn't sense it at all. But when I came around the corner and saw this place, I was asking that same question, and it just seemed like, again, this is not a scientific thing, it just felt like to me this could be the place. Now, I don't think we can be dogmatic about it, but the Golgotha, the hill of the skull, certainly... Is, is, sounds like what's described in the scripture and so does this garden with the tomb uh, here. Here's another view of the tomb and here uh, is a per, I got a picture of a person coming out, coming out so you can see how big the door is and uh, and this is the inside this is the place where Jesus would have been laid if this is his tomb and uh, and then Here's the door as you start out, a wooden door that now replaces where the stone was originally. It says, He is not here, for He is risen. Maybe that's the place. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting to think about it. And uh, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the important thing. Amen? Now, come back to your text. Verse 1. The first day of the week, that's Sunday. Sunday, the first day of the week. It became known as the Lord's Day. The Jews, of course, had always worshipped on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. But from this time on, from the day of the resurrection, from this time on, Christians worshipped on Sunday, not Saturday. They worshipped on Sunday. That was the Lord's Day and every day when when we gather, it's a celebration. We're celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating the risen Christ. When we come, we sing about him. We preach about him. We rejoice in him. We give praise to him. The risen Christ. Every Sunday is a celebration Sunday. and uh, And so from that time on, Christians met on Sunday and the Sabbath was passed. You know, all of the... Commandments, The Ten Commandments, all of them are reiterated in the New Testament except one. And that is to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath belonged to the Old Covenant. We're, we're living in the New Covenant. And uh, we worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday. And this is the reason for it. Uh, some of the other uh, uh, passages in Matthew about this resurrection says, In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn Look at Mark 16 And when the Sabbath was passed Now the primary primary interpretation And understanding of this is (coughs) That this particular Sabbath was over But I can't help but think There may be a secondary meaning here And that is the Sabbath The Sabbath was passed the Sabbath had come to an end. Now, of course, the Jews continued to uh, to meet on Saturday, the Sabbath, but Christians, for Christians, the Sabbath was past. It had come to an end, and now we celebrate on Sunday, the first day of the week. So let's think about this for a second, a little further. Uh, in Revelation, John is speaking here. He says, I was in the Spirit, or I was filled with the Spirit, on the Lord's Day. There's the day, Lord's Day. Sunday. Christians used to say, Happy Lord's Day. That's They greeted each other with a Happy Lord's Day. Uh, that'd be a wonderful way to greet your brothers and sisters, wouldn't it? Happy Lord's Day. And uh, so, we, um, that was the term that was used by New Testament Christians. And then Hebrews speaks about a reason for that. Why, why do we meet together? Well, Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We meet together to encourage each other in love. Encourage each other to love Christ. To love each other. To love the lost. And to do good works. To encourage each other to be busy serving the Lord and and uh, working for him and so and we do that when we come together now the very next verse is going to talk about the assembling together so you have to put these two together it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together now that uh, that word forsake there can be translated neglect don't neglect us, the assembling of ourselves together. It's important that we come together because we encourage each other and uh, to love and to good work. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Even in in Paul's day, there was some that didn't want to go to church, and uh, that was their manner. and Paul says, don't do that, or the Holy Spirit, whoever the author. Of course, no one knows for sure who the author of Hebrews is. It's probably Paul. And, uh, and and then it says, but exhorting one another. We are encouraging one another, and so much more. It's even more important as the day of Christ approaches. That is, the day the day of the Lord's coming back. So it's important to be in the assembly with each other. Other, it's important to be in church. Now, COVID has made that difficult, hasn't it? <laughs> for a while, we were all watching online, but we were still gathering together. We were doing it online, uh, and right now, some people are gathered with us, but they're they're online. But they're still gathered with us. I had a preacher tell me not long ago that he was angry at people for not coming back to church yet and uh, so forth but I don't feel that way I think if you're watching online if you're safer doing that and you're watching online I feel like you're gathering with us but it's important that we gather one statistic I read nationwide said that some people who had attended church regularly in the past have not only quit coming to the in-person assembly but they've quit watching the um, Online services from their church. Now that's forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That's neglecting that. That is disobeying just what the Lord is teaching us in this passage. Um, Many years ago, a man in our church, he's no longer here, hadn't been here for many years. He came to church one day and he was really angry, he said. And he wanted to vent, you know, and tell me what was wrong. He said, we we had a good neighborhood until somebody moved in and they mow their grass on Sunday man he could barely get the words out of his mouth without sneering you know he was so angry about that he and he, he kept repeating they're mowing their grass on the Sabbath and so I tried in a very kind way to to say well really Sunday's not the Sabbath Saturday's the Sabbath Sunday's the Lord's Day, and the Bible doesn't say anything about not working on the Lord's Day. Then not only was he mad at his neighbor, then he was mad at me. <laughs> but that's the truth. And so, people have asked me over the years, my my business or my company wants me to work on Sunday, but I, I don't think I should because it's the Sabbath, and uh, they're saying I might lose my job. And I would say, Sunday's not the Sabbath. If you you need to work on on Sunday to feed your family, then do it. The harm is, though, is getting away from the church meeting and neglecting or forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Just don't do that. And so, it was the dawning of a new day. The dawning of a new age. When God's people would worship on Sunday. It's important you've probably heard this story it's been told many times over and over through the years about an old preacher that went to visit a family that had gotten out of church and the man said things like well you don't have to go to church to go to heaven and the preacher said oh that's true And then, you know, he would say, Well, you you don't have to go to church to be saved. The preacher said, That's true. Meanwhile, the preacher had sat down next to the fireplace and picked up a poker. He was kindly piddling around in the fireplace. And while the man was talking, he slid one of the coals that was red hot. He slid that coal out on the hearth and let it sit there while the man was talking and uh, the man said uh, you know you don't have to do this don't have to do that and so finally the preacher said see that coal when you get it away from all the other coals it loses its fire it loses its heat and becomes cold that's the way God's people do when they get away from the assembling of ourselves together I think one of the greatest tricks... I've seen people fall into immorality, dishonesty through the years. But I think one of the greatest tricks Satan has is to get you out of going to church regularly. Then it'll be easier to get you to fall into an affair. It'll be easier to get you to do something dishonest because you're, you're away from the heat And the warmth that we give each other. How we encourage each other and to love and to good works. So there's Sunday. It was a dawning of a new day. And then look at uh, the next phrase there. Verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. If you just had the gospel of John, it would appear that uh, Mary is there all by herself. But that may not be the case. When you put all the gospels together, it can be confusing. One gospel says there was two ladies, one says there was three ladies, one says there was many as five ladies, and this one just mentions Mary. How can that be? Well, I assure you, it is not a contradiction. But the Word of God complements itself. Let's look at those passages. But it's been confusing for a lot of people, so let's look at those passages. Look at uh, Matthew 28. Now Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. There's two in that one. And then Mark says, Now Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. There's three in that one. And then Luke 24 says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. Now, we have, we have four people named. Mary Magdalene, by the way, is in every one of them. Of course, John here. It's just Mary Magdalene that's mentioned. So when you put those together, you have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. You have Joanna, and then if you add women, that's at least two. If you take Salome from Mark and put him down in, I mean, put her down in Luke, then you've got uh, uh, four. And then since there were women, you got at least one more. So there was as many as five women when you put it all together. There was as many as five women. So why does John just talk about Mary Magdalene? Well, it could be that the ladies had agreed to get there at the tomb and that uh, Mary got there earlier than everybody else, you know. Their smartphones weren't working well and so they, uh, the timing was a little off and, you know, they got there 15 minutes apart or 20 minutes apart, you know. That would be easy to do back then. So that's a possibility. The problem with that is, verse 2. Look, at, look down at your Bible at verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Notice that pronoun, we. It's not a singular pronoun. It's a plural pronoun. Mary is saying this to Peter and John. She says, we don't know where they put him. Now, if it was only her, she would have said, I don't know where they put him. So apparently those other women were with her when they found the tomb empty. Maybe the whole group of five or more. So that's probably not the case that she got there earlier than them and left before they got there. So here's probably what happened. They were all there together. They see, together they see the empty tomb. And the other ladies stay there. And uh, Mary's the one that runs away, Mary Magdalene. She runs away to tell Peter and John. And while the ladies are still there at the tomb, angels appear to them. And that's the, uh, I think, the best way to understand that. By the way, I've got a paper for you that looks like this. So be sure and get one of these. It's put out by Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, it's uh, order of the resurrection morning and the, uh, the 40 days of Jesus' uh, post-resurrection ministry. And so pick one of those up and it'll help because we're going to be talking about those things in the future when we're talking about uh, the resurrection. Read it and study it a little bit and think about it. So here's the, uh, the second possibility as they all come together and they are all five there if that's the case why in the world John didn't mention he only talks about Mary Magdalene well think with me for a moment let me tell you a little illustration parable story suppose with me for a moment that the kids from Gap were were on a Tuesday playing out in the uh, on the playground equipment and uh, Christy and Pam the directors they were out there with them and uh, one of the boys fell and, and broke his arm. And somebody comes running in and tells the staff, so-and-so fell and broke his arm, and all the staff go running out there. Now, that's the scenario. Now, the, the Christy and Pam are the angels. Bear with me now. And, uh, and the little boy who broke his arm, that's the big event. There was a big event that happened. That's like the resurrection. The five staff members that ran all ran out there, they're like the women going to the sepulcher. Now they get out there, and one of them's calling on, you know, 911, another one's calling the parents, and they're trying to get up with the parents and can't get up, so somebody else is using the phone. And Karen... Karen was one of the staff. And Karen just reaches down, picks the boy up, carries him to her car, puts him in the car, takes him to the hospital to get him treated. Now that's the story. Now suppose 60 years later I'm telling that story. And I'm I'm really talking about Karen. So I say something like this. I remember a time when little so-and-so fell and broke his arm out in the playground, and Miss Karen ran out there, scooped him up, put him in her car, and took him to the hospital. I didn't mention the two angels that were there, or the two directors. I didn't mention the rest of the staff that went. I only mentioned Karen. Am I lying? No. Am I withholding information? No. I'm just telling about Karen. If you would ask me and say, was she the only one there? I'd say, oh, no, there was some other staff people there too. But I'm telling about Karen. John is telling about Mary Magdalene. Mary is the focus here. She's going to be the first one to see the risen Christ. Jesus chose her. What an honor. He chose her to be the first one to see him. And that's what John's focusing on. And he just doesn't mention the other ladies. Now suppose somebody else tells the story about somebody breaking their arm out there and they mention two of the staff or three of the staff that went out and another one tells the story and he tells about all the staff going out and one of them tells what time it was. One of them tells what day it was. And one of them tells there was 40 kids out there. So they've all got different bits of information. But nobody's lying. There's no contradictions. Nobody's withholding information. That's the way the Gospels are. They, they blend together in a beautiful harmony. As the Holy Spirit weaves them together. So... Mary Magdalene and the other women, maybe four other, maybe more, was with her when she went to the tomb. Now I want to think about Mary again and her name Magdalene. It all, if we read it, it sounds like that's her last name, like Paul Luttrell, Mary Magdalene. But it's not. It describes where she's from, Magdala. And if you look at your screen here, i show you a map. Now, this is a map of the northern part of the Holy Land, uh, Judea. In Jesus' day, it was called Judea. And uh, that uh, body of water on the left side, that's the Mediterranean Sea. I know you can't read all those small words. Uh, And then the water on the right side that looks like an oblong circle, that's the Sea of Galilee. So, Nazareth is right here. That's where Jesus grew up. Capernaum is right here. That was Jesus' headquarters for his ministry. And then Magdala is right there, kind of in the middle. And it's right on the shore of Galilee. So it was kind of a fishing town. So Mary Magdalene means she was Mary from Magdala. Just like Jesus could be called a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. I could be called a Tennessean because I'm from Tennessee. And on and on it goes. So she was Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. Now twice in the Bible, in the New Testament, we're told that Mary had seven demons and Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Now think about that. What in the world would somebody with seven demons look like? What would they do? What would their behavior be? I mean, it boggles the mind. The, the, the few illustrations we have on the, in, the old, in the New Testament is that a demon often tried to make the person commit suicide. Often, uh, that father said, my son had thrown himself on the fire. Sometimes the demons made the people they were in extremely strong. Remember, the, the demon-possessed man of Gadara... They put chains on him. He broke those chains. We also told in the New Testament that people with demons sometimes fell on the ground, withering on the ground, foaming at the mouth. Wow. So what would it look like for somebody who had seven demons? I mean, they might have had a Explosive temper, where they would commit violence at the drop of a hat, or maybe they were immoral, or maybe they were mean to everybody. Or maybe I don't—I just don't know. But that's who Mary Magdalene was. One day, Jesus came by. One day Jesus came by and commanded those demons to come out of her. And there she was, forgiven, made whole, and made new with a whole new life. And nobody loved Jesus more. She was there at the cross when everybody else ran away. She was the first at the tomb. She will be the first person Jesus will appear to. Wow. Listen, whatever your past has been, don't let it keep you from loving Jesus and serving Jesus. You might say, well, you don't know what I did, preacher. No, and but if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. It's washed away and gone forever. Love him with all of your heart. Serve him with all of your strength. Praise him for making you clean and new. Jesus healed broken legs and crippled legs and gave... Uh, Blind people's sight, but the greatest thing he did was change lives, change people, and he's still doing that today. And so, she was made new, and she loved greatly. We'll get to meet her in heaven one day. It'll be a, that'd be a glorious thing. Won't it? Many years ago, I was preaching a revival in Massachusetts. And uh, I had preached there, I don't know, every year for a few years. And and on this particular occasion, on Monday night, the service was packed full. And it was, church was not as big as one of these in rows. Not, not, that, not even that big. Maybe half that big. And it was packed full. I mean, shoulder to shoulder, squeezed in as tight as you could get everybody. And, uh... Uh, and the first night, I gave the invitation. People, Everybody listened. I gave the invitation. Some people came forward to pray. But there was one lady sitting on my left hand right up against the wall here. And when everybody bowed their heads, she didn't bow her head. She kept her head up and looking right at me, eyeball to eyeball. And she was smiling. I mean, <laughs> that's an odd time to be smiling at the preacher, you know. And she was smiling and it wasn't a sweet smile or a kind smile. It was it was freaky. I mean it freaked me out. Why is she doing that? I thought. Well, Tuesday night came and she sat in the same place and same thing happened during the invitation. She was looking at me and smiling, and this time she was laughing. Part of her laughing was silent laughing. She was just moving her mouth, and, but no sound was coming out. And then every now and then a sound would come out, but she was just laughing. I mean, <laughs> that was really weird. I'm not kidding you. Wednesday night, same thing. Thursday night, same thing. I asked the pastor during the week, I said, who is that woman? He said, I don't know. He said, I've never met her. And, um, and so on Friday... I said, bow your heads. I looked back to see what she was doing. And this time, instead of laughing, she was crying. (laughs) She slipped out of her chair and came down and knelt at the front of the church. And I don't remember if I did it or the pastor or somebody prayed with her. And she called on Christ to be her Savior and Lord. She was so happy. She smiled differently after that. And... uh, and so later the pastor found out what her story was. She had lived a very wicked life. And she was part of a group of witches. And she believed to have supernatural power that came from the occult world. And she came to that revival to, uh, to stop it. To stop me and to stop that revival from taking place. And that's the reason she was freaking me out with that smile. She came to stop it, but instead she heard the gospel of Christ and was made new. She was just a few days away of taking her her final oath to become the 13th person in a particular covet of witches. But she found Christ. I asked the pastor years later. She was still serving the Lord, still loving the Lord, fit right into the church, loved the Lord. Jesus served him like Mary Magdalene who had seven demons but now had been set free and cleaned up and given a new start. And now she was loving Christ with all of her heart. Whatever we've done in the past, Jesus wants us to love him with all of our heart and serve him with all of our strength. Regardless of what you've done, if you've been saved, it's washed away in the blood of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, gone forever, forgiven. Bow with me, please. In just a moment, we'll sing a hymn of invitation. And those of you who are going to be voted in this morning for membership, y'all come and stand right on the front pew right here and face me if you would but I wonder right where you are thinking in your own heart whether you're at home or right here in this room say preacher pray for me I want to love the Lord with all my heart I want to serve Him with all my strength that's the desire of my heart if that's your desire would you slip your hand up right now all across the auditorium yes hands are everywhere God bless you God bless you you may put them down God knows, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Stand with me, please. and We're going to sing, and as we do, if you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come. You can just come, pray, and slip back to your seat if you want to. Those who are being voted in, you come.